Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm here with Blake Alderman. I'm Thomas Goldcamp. We're your staff writers for Swamp 24-7 Sports. Blake, some major news dropping tonight. The SEC finally has released its full schedule for the 2020 season. We had kind of waited, hoping, you know, that they would announce it late last week. Uh, that's why we didn't shoot an episode of the podcast. Uh, you know, you were coming off vacation as well. Uh, but we have the full schedule now. So, uh, Blake, I guess I'm just going to go ahead and dive into it. Um, I know we're, we're on a podcast where people may be in their cars or whatnot um, listening to this. So I'm going to go ahead and read through Florida's schedule a little slowly at first, and then we'll kind of dive into, uh, you know, the different aspects of how things shook out for Florida um, you know, how maybe some of their opponents uh, look in terms of schedule and, and what our general takeaway is. Uh, but Florida will actually open the season against a conference opponent for the first time since 1992. They're actually going to be on the road at Ole Miss. So September 26th, Florida is going to be traveling to Ole Miss, taking on Lane Kiffin. Uh, it should be quite an intriguing matchup. The following week, Florida will host South Carolina October 3rd. October 10th, Florida goes back on the road to Texas A&M. Uh, the following week, Florida will t- return home from that Texas A&M trip and host LSU. So right off the bat, you've got two road trips, uh, you know, where you're really going to find out about your team and then you host LSU. I think that's a, a pretty difficult stretch of the schedule. After that LSU game, Florida will stay at home uh, with a game against Missouri, followed by the bye. So Florida gets five games in front of the bye and then five games after the bye. Georgia also will be taking its bye on Halloween. So the annual game in Jacksonville has actually been pushed back a week for both teams, but both teams do keep their bye ahead of Florida, Georgia, which will now be on November 7th. Uh, The following week, this is where Florida's schedule starts to get a little bit lighter. Uh, November 14th, Florida will host Arkansas at home before traveling to Vanderbilt on November 21st. And then Thanksgiving weekend, Florida will be back at home against Kentucky, followed by the season finale, which will now come on the road at Tennessee, so, Blake, I'm going to go ahead and throw it over to you. First off, what is your first impression of this schedule for Florida? You know, when you look at it, I think it's definitely front-loaded. Um, it's never easy starting on the road uh, to start your season off. But I think that, uh, you, you know, I, I think when you, when you look at, you know, a new coach and just kind of all the shutdown, and it, it's, it's not easy. So, I think that, um, you know, all things considered, if you're going to start your season on the road, you know, I, I think you need some things to go your way and some favors. And I think that just the fact that, you know, it's a new scheme and it's new coaching staff and they're kind of installing new things. Um, I think that that definitely benefits Florida, but, you know, definitely Ole Miss, South Carolina, A&M, LSU, that's, that's a pretty rough four, eight weeks right there for Florida. Um, that definitely tests this team that is, you know, returning a lot of pieces. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's a pretty good draw for Florida overall. You know, I, I, I think when you look at what they originally had on a schedule, you know, it wasn't crazy. It kind of favored Florida to kind of make that run. And, you know, it seemed like, you know, past a you know an LSU game at home and a Georgia game in Jacksonville those were really the two key games for Florida um you know adding those games Arkansas at home adding A&M on the road that's going to be a tough one you know just playing at Powell Field 
um, you know, against an a and team that does have a lot of veterans themselves. So I, I think it's maybe one that I've, I've kind of had my eye on right now, just kind of interesting, just seeing two veteran teams like that, Florida being on the road. Um, I'm interested in seeing that game. But I think overall, you know, it's, I, I think it's um, – it's 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 not as maybe as easy as a schedule that Florida maybe started with to start the season, but I think all things considered, playing a ten game schedule against SEC teams, I think uh, I think Florida should be pretty happy with their draw. Yeah, I mean it's not a bad draw by any stretch of the imagination, and I think again having that bye kind of in the middle of the season, I like the way the SEC set it up to where you know every team's taking a bye either week four or five or six, so you don't have one team that maybe plays a stretch of ten games in a row like you would in a twelve game you know season where somebody has their bye at the beginning or the end. Uh, I like that part of the SEC scheduling. Um, it is going to be really interesting to see, I, you know, that that opening month I really look at, um, you know, from that Ole Miss game to that LSU game, you're going to find out who Florida is very, very early on. I mean, th- there's no doubt about it. And I think you look at starting on the road, I think the one thing, you know, starting against Ole Miss that makes it a little bit easier is they are breaking in a new coach, um, you know, and then the, the way that the schedule, you know, from the spring to the summer has been impacted by the coronavirus um, I, I think you can expect Ole Miss to have some growing pains. Now, that said, uh, that could be a tough matchup for Florida. I mean, John Rice Plumley is a, a, a very capable runner. Uh, Florida, you know, having to replace some linebackers, uh, that, that could be a tricky matchup. You know, we've seen Florida struggle at times against running QBs. Um, so that'll be an interesting one. And then, you know, I think the South Carolina game, um, you know, the biggest challenge for that one, again, is you're still figuring out who you are early in the season. Um, but then when you go back-to-back road game at A&M against, a, you know, an Aggies team that, like you said, returns a lot of veterans, um, you know, a lot of people are picking them to be maybe, you know, kind of that dark horse team in the SEC West, although it seems like, you know, they've been picked that way every every year for the last couple of years uh, since, since Jimbo Fisher's gotten there. But then you turn around and you come back. Um, I actually kind of like LSU earlier in the schedule for Florida. I think when you look at everything that LSU lost from a personnel standpoint, probably better to have them up front rather than after definitely you know, some of that and being happened. at home too and so. being at home yeah those are those are really big and then um if you can get into that by you know that bye week kind of having managed all of a sudden you've got that big showdown against georgia and i think that's the one that everybody's got circled on the calendar you know we've talked about it all season uh you know you hit on florida's schedule previously it was a little bit you know uh more conducive to kind of ramping into the season particularly in a year where you know covid impacted the offseason with with three home games Eastern Washington, Kentucky, and South Alabama. Well, now you have a tough opening slate. But if you can manage that and you get by that Georgia game, all of a sudden you're, you know, you're looking at Arkansas, Vandy, Kentucky. Um, that, that should be a very manageable stretch if you're in control of the division at that point. Now, I will say, Blake, that Tennessee game on December 5th to close the season, that's interesting because we all know what happened the last time Tennessee was at the end of a Florida schedule. Uh, going back to 2001, obviously, when, you know, when 9-11 happened, you had the Darnell Dockett. Uh, you know, leg twist in the Florida State game, and then Florida uh, comes up short against Tennessee in a, in a 34 to 32 game at the end of the season, cost them their shot at the SEC championship. And Blake, uh, I mean, you know, Tennessee fans, even though the rivalry's been lopsided, they are always convinced that you know it's their turn to end you know end Florida's uh, dominance or whatever. And if Florida at that point is in the driver's seat in the SEC East, Tennessee would love nothing more than to you know, finish their year by, by spoiling Florida. So a lot of different places you can kind of circle on this schedule and point to, uh, I think another thing that kind of stuck out to me is, is Florida is not going to play outside the state of Florida from mid October until mid November. Uh, on the flip side, Georgia basically is on the road for that entire same stretch. So Florida gets LSU, Missouri, a bye date, Georgia in Jacksonville, and then Arkansas at home. Meanwhile, 
Georgia has Alabama at sorry at Alabama at Kentucky the bye week the game in Jacksonville and then at Missouri so those five weeks could be a real swing stretch for both teams like the other thing I, I liked uh, when kind of looking at this SEC schedule as a whole was one advantage I thought that Florida had with the previous schedule was that Georgia played both Alabama and Auburn before that game in Jacksonville um, that is a tough stretch no matter how you slice it and you kind of had this idea that maybe Georgia might come into game in Jacksonville a little beat up even though they have the bye week in front having to play Alabama and Auburn before that game in Jacksonville was a big part of why I thought Florida had maybe a little bit of a schedule edge previously guess what Auburn week two for Georgia Alabama week four so they're going to get both of those games still ahead of the game against Florida and Jacksonville uh, you know there's a lot that can happen with this schedule and I think as we were kind of sitting there watching it being, you know, being unveiled tonight, I think you started to realize, Oh my God, like this is a brutal schedule. I mean, there's, there's no reprieve. And Dan Mullen said that today. I think if, if they can pull this off and we end up playing games and getting through more than just a couple games, it's going to be one hell of a year. It's definitely going to be exciting. And I, I said it on the last podcast where you just see that stretch of sec games and, you know, you think about it and we talked about it and, you know, we're excited as football fans to see something like this. It's different. It's new. It's, you know, probably something we may not ever see again um, unless some other kind of virus, you know, just uh, decides to drop off. I mean, 2020 is not over yet, man. It's, it's not been a fun year so far. So uh, fingers crossed, but I think whenever you do see it and you finally look at it and you're like, okay, here's the schedule. This is what it looks like. And you look at everything from top to bottom. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know that there's really sure you can look at different parts of team schedules. You can see, yes, this is an easier stretch. Yes. It's a harder stretch, but I don't know that any one team, you know, maybe just from the adding the two games, you know, some teams added an easier team than maybe a harder team. But I think overall, when you look at a lot of these teams top to bottom, I mean, there's no one schedule where you look at it. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's easy. No, absolutely not. I mean, whoever wins the league this year is going to have absolutely earned it. And uh, I do think there's been a lot of talk about the SEC, maybe quote unquote, protecting its teams that, you know, had a chance to make the playoff. And um, I think you could probably make a fair case for some of that to some degree. Uh, But at the end of the day, man, you play 10 SEC games, you're going to earn it one way or the other. Um, And that's definitely the case when you look at this schedule. Like, I know that we're, we're recording this podcast on the fly. We wanted it to be kind of reactionary, you know, first, first gut. Um, I know we haven't necessarily had a chance to even kick it, you know, between ourselves off show before we started to air, but um, is there any game on this schedule that you look at and say, okay, maybe that's a trap game? For Florida or just in general of the Florida, SEC? Yeah. Um, you know, I would say if I had to pick a trap game, I would say probably the Missouri game. And I say that only because it's leading into a bye week. You know, you're kind of coming off that rough start of the gauntlet and you kind of look at things where it's like, okay, well, you know, Florida's just had to play Ole Miss. They've had to play South Carolina. They've had to play A&M, LSU. They're already looking ahead to Georgia, you know, looking ahead to getting that bye week. So I, I guess if I had to pick one, I, I guess I would say Missouri. Um, you know, it's at home. So, that, you know, there, there's a lot of positives for Florida there. And, and, and I don't think they're going to overlook them or anything to that. But I think just kind of – when you have that stretch that Florida is going to start with and you kind of, you know, sandwich a, a bye week and then, you know, looking into that big game that more than likely is going to decide the SEC East, or at least a lot of people think that I think Missouri is probably the one to watch for me at least. Yeah. I don't, I don't see an obvious one. Like I thought maybe Ole Miss on the previous schedule was going to be one that, you know, is kind of sandwiched in there on the road. Maybe it was a little bit tough, you know, now that the rebels aren't going to get much time to really get used to Lane Kiffin's offensive system, uh, I think the quote-unquote trap element of that game disappears a little bit. I think both teams are kind of dealing with the same factors. Um, I would say as of right now, you know, if, if it's the same Kentucky team that begins the season at the end of the year, 
that's one for me that you can circle in that second to last week, you know, coming off what should be a little bit of an easier stretch. You got Arkansas and Vanderbilt coming off that Georgia game, and then you have Kentucky. I think the Wildcats could be a sneaky good team this year, um, but I'm not entirely sure if that's a quote-unquote true trap game. And the reason I say that is by the time you get to the ninth game in a 10-game SEC schedule, that's where your depth starts to pay off. And I think Kentucky's advantage is that, you know, they've got a veteran team. They've got some players under Mark Stoops that are really good but I don't know if they're going to have enough in the tank by game nine in an SEC season to come into the swamp and really truly make that a game. Uh, but that's one that I think, you know, if you're looking for that quote unquote trap game, maybe also circle that one. Uh, Makes sense. Cause it's wedged into, you know, what you would think is, Oh, you know, Florida's going to coast the rest of the season. They've got some easy games and, and Kentucky's had Flo- Tennessee finale. Sure. Know? And you're looking for that. And that's a big game. And, you know, wherever Florida's at in the standings of the SEC, maybe you're looking ahead to, you know, the SEC championship game, who do they play in the West, yada, yada, yada. So it's a good pick for that Kentucky game because Kentucky, you know, this isn't the 62 to zero Kentucky team back in the day that Florida used to scrub. I mean, this is a team that has played Florida close, um, you know, maybe not every year, but, you know, I mean, more than none. I mean, they played them very close several of the last games. Um, so, I mean, I think that's a good pick too. All right, Blake. Well, let's take a quick break. Uh, today was also the start of fall camp for Florida, so we got plenty of news to discuss there. We'll get to that right on the other side of this break, guys. Hang with us. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices... Well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them. And easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp, joined here by Blake Alderman. We have our SEC football schedule set. Florida will play 10 teams. We now know in what order. Just kind of discussed that a little bit on the podcast. Blake, today was the start of fall camp. And, uh, you know, we had some interesting news today, uh, to say the least. The... uh, the day kind of started with Dan Mullen taking a Zoom call after the team's first practice. Uh, maybe came across as a little bit irritated, and then I think it became pretty clear after the call maybe why that was. Uh, Florida had four players that we know of for now uh, opt to sit out of that practice, at least for now. We're not entirely sure if these opt-outs are going to be season-long. None of these players have said that they're going to be season-long. Uh, for now, it's just sitting out of practice, one practice that we know of for now. Uh, but three receivers were among that group, Darius Tony, Trayvon Grimes, and Jacob Copeland. And then defensive end, Zachary Carter, was also among those sitting out. Blake, uh, I, I don't want to be um, – I, I don't want to 
talk too much about uh, why these players are making that decision because, frankly, they none of them have specifically said why they are opting out. Um, but your thoughts generally on what this could mean for Florida if these guys do end up sitting out, and then uh, what is your view overall on just just kind of the entire situation that unfolded today? You know, I think when you look at it and, and you see that Florida is going to have to replace so many wide receivers that were big contributors last year that are, you know, in, in the NFL now, um, I think that it's, it's, it's one of those positions where you look at the guys, Jacob Copeland, uh, you know, Trevon Grimes, you know, even Kadarius Toney, who's the senior of the group. You know, those were guys that Florida's going to have to count on this year. So I think it's at this point, it, it's going to be a blow just from a depth standpoint, from a guy's of – you know, what you know of that you can count on them just because past those guys. I mean, there's really some guys that really haven't had a lot of snaps on Florida's roster. You know, Jamarcus Weston, Trent Whittemore, you know, those those are the guys that really haven't done a whole lot other than just, you know, what you see in practice. So I think from a, from a game-ready standpoint, that's a hurt. You know, it, it's, it's a hit um, just because of the fact you're going to have to replace so many guys. I think that that's going to put a little bit more of a burden on, you know, Kyle Pitts. You know, do you move him out to a wide receiver type? Um, to kind of mismatch him there and put Keon Zipper, you know, in, in the in the tight end spot. There's ways around it, but I, I think those are kind of band-aid type of things. So I, I think that that is a that to me it's concerning just because of the fact that you're losing such a, a, a what you know of a core of your wide receiver group. But I think overall, I think Zachary Carter might be the biggest blow from top to bottom just from the fact that you know he was going to be that guy that was going to take that next step up um, kind of that five technique defensive lineman that can move around between, you know, playing defensive end, you can throw him in the, in the uh, defensive tackle position. I think the fact that he's such a mismatched guy, I think that that to me is the one that jumps out the most of just the biggest hit. Um, maybe the group in general of wide receivers, certainly that hurts more, but I think just from a one player standpoint, looking at that, I think Carter is a big blow. Um, and I, the other one was, what was, uh, I already forgot what else Tony, you asked me. Tony Grouch and Copeland. No, no, that's, that was pretty much it. Yeah, no, I thought there was a second part to that question, so I was so invested in the first part. <laughs> no, I, you know, if I asked the second part, I kind of forgot. <laughs> I was just kind of Thomas's the, fault. It's Thomas's fault. Definitely my. It's fault. Not my fault. Um, but yeah, I, either I mean, way, I think it's a big blow. I mean, just from the fact that three wide receivers gone, and then a guy that's going to be a big contributor on defense. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no way around the receiver, you know, problem at this point, and I, I would say it's a problem if you know if these three guys continue to opt out. Um, again, the sense I've gotten from talking to a few sources closer to the program is that this is not at all a permanent thing right now. Uh, the expectation is that these guys could potentially come back uh, at any point. And so, I, again, I'm hesitant to um, – I don't want to drive panic in anybody or anything. Uh, we're just discussing this, you know, kind of as it happens. Um, but there's no, way, there's no two ways around it. I mean, if these three guys end up not playing at receiver – you're talking about a Florida roster that for now only has five scholarship receivers, guys that were recruited to play receiver. Now there are two more that could be added to that mix. If Justin shorter or, um, or Jordan Pouncey get, get a waiver. But as of today, Dan Mullen said that they haven't heard back on that and they're still kind of on the NCAA's timeline. So you're talking about five guys for the entire position when Florida rolled through, you know, any, anywhere from six to eight guys at receiver last year, uh, we knew it was going to be an area of concern coming in when you lose those four seniors, three of the guys that went to the NFL draft and then Josh Hammond signing with the Jags. You, you had production to replace there already. You lose a guy like Trayvon Grimes, who was your established, you know, really coming into this year was going to be your established number one guy at receiver. Obviously you have Kyle Pitts that can help somewhat. Um, but if you lose, you know, Copeland, Trayvon Grimes, and Kadarius Tony, who's taking the pressure off Kyle Pitts? I mean, you know what I mean? Like they, it gets much easier for teams to defend him because then you can start to shade coverage his way and not have to worry so much. 
Um, but Blake, that's going to make fall camp interesting, at least, at least in the next few days, if these guys continue to set out, um, it's going to mean a ton of reps for guys like Xavier Henderson, for guys like Jaquavian Frazier's Trent Whittemore. Um, we're going to find out really quickly who can take advantage of that. Um, and, and again, I, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to make it sound like I'm doubting, you know, the decision that any of these guys are making. I think every, I think it's a very personal thing, um, you know, and not knowing all the factors that go into these decisions or how permanent they are at this point. Um, I don't think we really need to get into that. I mean, guys have different family situations. You know, I know um, Zachary Carter's dad was quoted by Zach Albaverde in, in a really nice piece about, um, you know, his own battles with COVID-19 and, and just having concern about the health aspects. And certainly they're very real, very valid. Um, you know, I know Dan Mullen made it a point today and this is, this is where it, it's, it's one of the, it's just a tricky, tricky issue because from a number standpoint, it very much does seem like the case that Dan Mullen today uh, made today holds up and that guys are safer around the team facilities, that the medical protocols that they've put in place for these players uh, and the, the amount of testing they're doing, the amount of disinfecting everything they're doing, the guidelines they're taking within the team facilities have really helped because Florida got all the way through July 14th to now without any positive cases after they had a couple in June um, when guys were maybe a little more spread out or weren't all in one centralized location. So from a health standpoint, there's that to consider, you know, for these guys. And that's, it's just not an easy decision to make. You know, some of these guys have, have relatives that are, have underlying issues. So um, it's going to be interesting to see over the course of the next few weeks, whether or not some of these are permanent moves, whether or not some of them uh, end up deciding to come back. You know, I, I don't fault anybody uh, who has, you know, some of those considerations to take into account and ops to sit out. But from a football standpoint, definitely is going to be something to monitor for Florida. I mean, like you said, these are two positions where Florida really, really could not afford to lose a whole lot of guys. Um, Blake, I, we haven't talked about it too much, but it, in the event that Zach Carter, who I think is the one that clearly uh, his dad has stated it's more about health, you know, health concerns for him. What, what do you think Florida does to kind of maybe move guys around or shore up that strong side defensive end position in the event he doesn't go? You know, I, I've actually kind of thought about this today, just, you know, on my own. And I, we, we even kind of talked about it a little bit, you know, even on the board on Swamp 24-7. And I think the thing that makes the most sense to me right now is probably sliding Brenton Cox over to that, you know, strong side defensive end position. Um, and then, you know, kind of relying on, uh, you know, Jeremiah Moon or just some of these other guys, Chris Bogle. I think Florida has a little bit better depth at Buck. So I think if you're going to keep your best players on the field, um, whether that's – and I think – Cox just brings a little bit more of just some size to him to where he could probably kind of make that move and make it a little bit easier. Jeremiah Moon, Chris Bogle, they aren't, you know, the biggest, you know, thickest kind of, you know, guys that I think would set the edge. So I think moving Cox over there, um, you know, kind of letting him get there, that five technique, you know, kind of testing the waters with some of the other guys at Buck. And I think even if you need to, you know, I think that's going to put a little bit more pressure on Javon Dexter, the, you know, the five-star freshman um, to not necessarily get, you know, like he's going to step in and, you know, make immediate playing time. He's going to be a starter. But I think just the need of having a body in there, his big size like that, I think he's going to be one that's going to have to have a fast pass. He's going to have to learn on the fly. Maybe not thrown in the waters of being a starter, but I think he's going to be a guy that's going to crack that rotation. He's going to be one that they count on. Just with the fact that he can kind of also play some of that five technique. He's got the length to play a little bit of defensive end. He's quick off the edge enough. Um, and I think he's got that. I think if you look at someone, maybe he doesn't have the experience that Zach Carter has, but I think right now he's the one guy that seems to me that fits that role of being able to kind of slide between playing that defensive end and defensive tackle spot. So I think 
Dexter, he's going to have to learn fast, but I think for right now, putting Cox and kind of letting him take that spot and testing the waters with your other bucks in there, you know, like I said, Chris Bogle's a moon. I think to me, that's what makes the most sense. Yeah, no, I think I'm with you on that. I mean, we've talked about it previously. It seems like Florida has kind of a log jam at that buck position. Now, you know, I know that they use those guys somewhat interchangeably. Some of those guys will end up playing somewhat of an outside linebacker role. Some of the guys, you know, can maybe do what you're talking about with Cox, where, you, you know, you alternate between buck and strong side defensive end. But I think when you look at, you know, from a size standpoint, like you were talking about, the guys that can move over to play in that strong side, there's there's fewer of those guys. You know, Cox, I think we agree, can definitely be one. Uh, I actually think, you know, Chris Bogle, despite being a little bit, you know, slimmer, I thought he did a pretty good job setting the run last year. So I could see him maybe getting some reps there. Um, but I do think, like you said, I do think, you know, Javon Dexter is a guy that probably, particularly if they move Cox over to, to that starting role, he's a guy that immediately you plug in there as that number two, and, and he starts to get a real look at it there. Um, but it's going to be interesting, man. Like, the, I think what's clear at this point is that nothing is going to be normal this season with either schedule, you know, uh, fall camp, opt-outs all these things I mean this is a completely unprecedented kind of season you know and we're starting to see that it's it's gonna happen uh you know and and there's nothing to say that you know guys that start the season make it all the way through or will finish or don't have you know some kind of COVID related thing happen in their family where they start to reevaluate mid-season so I thought what Dan Mullen said today when we talked to him uh, on a call with reporters was pretty interesting he said basically the teams that are able to adapt the best are going to be the teams that are in position to hold up that national championship trophy at the end of the year. And it's, it's hard to argue. I mean, there's, there just have been so many curveballs thrown that uh, you're going to have to, you're going to have to be able to adjust on the fly. Um, Blake, here's a, here's a curveball question for you, actually. Knowing that there's only right now five scholarship receivers out there, are there any guys that you think could maybe make that switch maybe from the defensive side of the ball? The defensive side of the ball, Uh, you know, I thought about it earlier too, actually, and I maybe not the defensive side, but I think if you needed to throw someone in the slot, kind of like a Kadarius Tony, I think Iverson Clement is a guy that was, you know, athletic enough to even throw him and get him, you know, on the defensive side and some, you know, in a jam, you know, when Florida hasn't had the guys at the defensive back cornerback position, he could do that in the spring season for them. I think he's one that you could probably throw in there as, you know, kind of a slot receiver. You know, he doesn't have that big, tall size. I think if you're going to throw someone like that, you're going to put Xavier Henderson, you're going to put a Jaquavion Frazier's out there. Um, but I think he's someone that I think matches maybe the same kind of, uh, you know, just athletic, you know, give him the ball kind of, you know, not necessarily in the same aspect of Tony, just because, you know, Tony is just really electric. I don't think Iverson Clement is in that same you know sense of there, but I think he's similar ish. Um, but past that, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. If there's really Finley anyone. Graham, maybe somebody like yeah, that. Finley Graham's another one too, that probably fits that role. Um, you know, I, it's funny, you know, I thought of Kyer Elam being one of those guys that stood out as wide receiver in high school. But then I thought to myself, like, yeah, right, like Florida's going to take him off of that cornerback position. But, you know, I think Finley Graham is – I think he's probably even back. better. He's, Finley Graham is a good too, though. Yeah. I think that Finley, what you saw with him as a special teams guy, is, you know, as a return man, um, he even played some offense in high school for Lakeland. Uh, you know, he doesn't have that big size. You know, he's not really a lengthy guy. So he doesn't really kind of match what Florida has looked at for some of their corners. So I think he's also a really good one too. But, uh, you know, just even from the offensive side, Iverson Clement, you know, I think that they'll be okay with guys that are, you know, maybe more of those slot types. But, you know, if some of those, you know, bigger, longer, tall, you know, kind of like tree guys out there um, decide to opt out, I think that's where Ford is really going to get into a pickle with, you know, just the fact that, you know, they're already limited on numbers now. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely underscored, uh, you know, that quality depth at every position is key. Uh, definitely more so this year than any other year. Like, um, 
let's shift gears a little bit. Um, you know, we'll have plenty to talk about with fall camp in the in the coming weeks. Obviously, as we continue to get more information on the team. But uh, since our last podcast, I know you were on vacation. Uh, a lot happened. It seems like everything always happens while you're on vacation when it comes to the order recruiting world. At least it was good this time, though. Last time it wasn't fun. I was on vacation last time. Like my family hated my guts on that second on that first vacation. The second one, they were happy because like you know it's quick, it's easy. Commitments are easy to cover, but you know when it's bad news, man, it is no bueno. All right, well, fill us in. Who are the, the two guys that Florida has landed since our last podcast? You know, Florida's actually – on the on one of the past podcasts, I've said that, you know, just this summer, Florida has had a steady flux of commitments. And, and you know, you kind of look at what they've done over the last couple months. They've had a pretty nice run of just adding a couple commitments here and there. You know, maybe not this big run, you know, like, a, you know, Tennessee earlier this year where, they, you know, it felt like they had a commitment every other day. But Florida's done a good job spacing out, adding some guys – um, but, you know, they landed their last two commitments, uh, you know, earlier this month. You know, they're their highest two guys in the class to date. Florida really made a big splash with a five-star cornerback in Jason Marshall out of Miami Palmetto. Um, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, my 24-7, crystal, uh, 24/7 sports crystal ball was on Miami. I had shifted it from Florida on August 1st because everything we were hearing was that Jason Marshall had basically told Miami, I'm coming. You know, I, I'm, I'm on board. Everything's good. That's what we were hearing. Um, you know, Florida had stayed in touch with them. They kept pressing, you know, there are, you know, guys in the class, coaches, you know, guys on the recruiting staff, you know, even some freshmen um, on the team were, you know, all in his year, you know, Florida made a really big push. Um, he had continued to talk with, you know, the, the final three schools that were Alabama, Miami, and Florida. Um, and, you know, he it really, Florida just kept chopping wood and, you know, they really got the, you know, kind of the last laugh there. Um, you know, all the 24 seven sports crystal balls were pointing to Miami and he made his commitment to the Gators uh, on uh, uh, August 9th around the afternoon. And that was a big get for Florida. It's the second year they've landed a five-star guy with Jervon Dexter from last year, Jason Marshall this year. Jason is, you know, he's, he's a big time corner for Florida. He's a 6'2", 180 pound type guy. Um, had five interceptions last year playing down in South Florida, 15 pass breaks up. I mean, he, he's really active around the ball. So I think he's going to be a guy that's really going to excel with Florida where they really like to attack, you know, they really like to go after the ball. So I think he'll fit in well there. Florida overall in the 2021 cycle has had a big, they have big needs in certain spots, but, you know, safety's really kind of been that glaring need from when we started this cycle, kind of looking at, you know, just what Florida's biggest needs were. Um, and their second commitment was, uh, you know, the following day on August 10th and four-star safety, Corey Collier. I uh, committed to Florida over finalists, LSU and Miami. Uh, he's kind of, uh, he's another long and lanky kid. You know, he's a 6'2", 170-pound guy himself. Um, he plays cornerback for his high school, but he projects as a safety at the next level. He's kind of got the feel of, you know, where, uh, you know, Donovan McMillan in Florida's class has, has that strong safety, you know, kind of a, you know, big tackler box kind of guy, really aggressive, has that strong safety type feel. Corey Collier has more of a free safety, really great in coverage, excels. He's smooth in coverage. He's got that long length to play that center field back there. So I think that Florida's done a really good job of continuing to kind of round out their needs at safety. You have a guy in McMillan, like I said, at that strong safety, Collier as a free safety, and then even a guy like Dakota Mitchell, who's more of a, uh, you know, a kind of a star box safety type of guy in the nickel position for Florida. So, um, you know, they've got pretty limited spots right now, but Florida's done a really good job in their defensive back haul so far. Um, they've been on a nice little run. They're, you know, kind of riding hot, you know, leading into the, you know, the final stretch, so to say. Um, but, you know, those were big additions for Florida. Um, and again, you know, Dan Mullen lands his second five-star in a second straight – or excuse me, lands a five-star in his second straight class. So there's definitely been a nice uptick on defensive recruiting for the Gators. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, re recruiting, it's never as good as it seems and it's never as bad as it seems. You know, a week before these announcements, I think Florida fans are a little bit on the edge, maybe a little bit panicked about where things are heading. 
all of a sudden you, you know, you pull a five star and, and things look a little bit different. Uh, but there's no doubt Blake Florida's done a good job shoring up that defensive back class, you know, something they had to do last year as well. You got four senior safeties, safeties losing, landing guys like, uh, you know, like, like Marshall and, um, and Corey Collier is, is certainly a big bonus. Uh, Blake, we're going to have plenty more in the coming weeks, as I'm noted, on fall camp. Uh, we've been hitting sources. We posted a couple VIP notes already from today's practice, kind of about how things are going, who's looking, uh, who's looking good, where guys are playing. Uh, we've got a 50% off VIP offer going on right now uh, for the next couple days at least. So uh, we encourage everybody that is not already on board as a VIP member at Swamp 24-7, come check that out. You'll love the practice notes we got. Um, unfortunately, because of the way, you know, practices are working this year, we don't have as much on-field, you know, media access. So we're not getting necessarily to see it with our own eyes, but that's, you know, that's why we've developed sources over the years uh, who can get us some of that info from practice that we know you're all dying for. So be sure to check it out at swamp247.com. Like I said, 50% off an annual VIP membership deal going on right now. So get in on it while it lasts. And then Blake, uh, we will be back very shortly with more on fall camp. You know, today was the first day in helmets and shorts. Not a ton usually happens there, but uh, as they begin to get past that acclimation period, you know, get that those two practices in in helmets and shorts, two practices in half shells, and then we go to full pads. And uh, Blake, you know, obviously with the way the camp schedule sets up this year, uh, it's going to be a pretty quick ramp up into that September 26th kickoff. That's all I'm here for, man. I need uh, I need things to go smoothly now. So, um, you know. It's interesting. I'm excited. 10-game schedule. We know what Florida's you know, schedule looks like now. So, uh, you know, now as we have to do now is just uh, continue to kind of churn out these next couple practices. And, uh, you know, I keep saying it every show, but, man, football's closing in. I, I hope I don't, like, jinx or anything. Fingers crossed here. But, man, I'm, I'm a superstitious guy. I'm about to go buy a rabbit's foot, a four-leaf clover. So, uh, man, I'm, I'm excited. It's football season, man. After this long grind of dead periods, um, I'm excited to see things starting to, you know, come to fruition. It is indeed, man. I, it, you know, it's been such a weird last five months that I forgot what it was like covering, you know, first day of fall camp where you're writing five or six stories and it doesn't even feel like uh, you've put in that much work just because there's so much content and news from sources coming in. So uh, anyway, guys, that'll do it for us today. Thanks for tuning in. Again, want to reiterate, we have that 50% annual VIP membership on sale right now. We've got some VIP nuggets already posted on the site. Uh, my colleague, Bob Redman, is waiting on a couple sources to hear back from. And he's going to add some more to that. So be sure to check it out at swamp247.com. Until next time, guys. That's it for the Swamp 247 podcast. You were so close to a perfect episode, man. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? Bow. 
and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.